0: our speaker i'm gonna unmute too (laughs) but first things first yay (laughs) i got that part down all right um i fred and i go back we came into i think he were there first but uh we both came in in the 80s and i was in the mid-80s i think fred was earlier and um and uh to me well first of all he's got a a wicked sense of humor and that may or may not show up tonight but i I really enjoy it and it's fun and it's been fun to kind of bump along with him over these years uh and in maria and i actually met him uh, one of our recent trips going through florida just catching up because we hadn't been face to face in quite a while um fred for me uh uh perseverance his journey has had its bumps and bruises, and uh, he keeps coming back. Um, there's, um, to me, one of our f- best slogans is progress, not perfection. And uh, and I think uh, Fred also personifies that. So uh, long story short, it's a journey, and Fred has been on one. And uh, that's why we asked him to share his thoughts and his experience tonight. Thanks. You're on, Fred. Thanks, Ryan. Really.
1: Uh, hi, my name is Fred and I'm going to be reading my text off a screen here. So, I mean, when I'm, when my five-minute warning comes, just make a little noise or something because I'll be reading. I'll be reading something and I won't see if somebody makes a high sign. Um, uh, Charlie texted me on Saturday and asked if I could fill in for the speaker meeting. My first thought was, for a moment, a little trepidation, but of course, it's Charlie. It's Charlie, I'm going to do it. Um, and he's also speaking at our meeting in about six weeks. So, but I would do it anyway, of course. Then I thought it's a perfect situation. If I screw up and run short or ramble interminably and long and incoherent, it's because of the short notice. And if I run just right and it all goes well, well, then we know who gets credit for that, huh? It's almost like I absolutely belong in a twelve-step group, isn't it? I've known Charlie for a long time, over thirty-five years, I think or over half of uh, what now is a pretty long life for me. I'm 67. And I can tell you without the slightest exaggeration or hyperbole that there's a pretty good chance that I would not have lived many of those years without the 12-step program of OA. I began 12-step when I was 25 and can't imagine that I'd have lived past my 30s without it. So when I piss him little about getting old, and I do piss him little about getting old, it's important for me to remember uh, that I suspect I might not even have reached middle age without the OA program. I am old now because of OA and the 12-step programs. <clears throat> I'll talk a little about my experience with drug and alcohol here too, not too proud of one over the other. I mainly bring it in as a proof that dealing with chemicals doesn't mean you don't have to deal with food. And that it's pretty easy to think that the consequences of compulsive reading are somehow less than those particularly emotionally and psychologically of drug and alcohol addiction. As I often say to AA members, The only difference between alcohol and food for me was food drove me completely insane and almost killing. Again, not hyperbole, which it was. Uh, I remember starting to overeat very young and I think getting older than six or seven. I'm not sure at what age it began, but I remember identifying and being identified as a fat kid very early, certainly during my first years in grade school. I was the youngest of four boys and sort of at the bottom of the pyramid. It took a fair amount of grief from my brothers uh, uh, not punching in the face, but, you know, we knocked each other around, got thrown against the wall and stuff like that, a little intimidation, some of that. And when I started getting overweight, that didn't make things any easier. In grade school, I was smart, but I was also a bully. I chose to deal with these things that way. story often told them there's another addiction programs. So what goes around comes around. And I was generally one of the bigger kids in class, and I didn't mind throwing my literal weight and sometimes my classmates around. I have very vivid early memories of being harassed by neighborhood kids, kids at school, my brothers and my brothers' friends, for being for being overweight. The symptom of body dysmorphia often gets ingrained in us very young. Um, I also remember many times in my childhood compulsively eating food meant for family dinners, or that was thrown away or frozen for use later. It really is a disease and an obsession, and I suffered shame from it from a very early age. Uh, My father was a physician, and it was more than once impressed upon me that it didn't make him look very good to have a fat kid. We weren't one of those stern, highly competitive-type families. There was a lot of joking and sarcasm, but that got across clearly and early. I also remember being offered rewards for weight loss, and there was the daughter of an old family friend that more than once I competed against in diets arranged by her parents. Yeah, I think that might very well have made things a little worse, no matter that they think the attempt was basically, I think, good. Uh, Another idea, completely good intention, the non-invest kind of, it still surprises me that he did this. The last time I found myself in a situation like that was when I was 18 and my big brother David brought me eight cherry red, gold-plated, Les Paul custom, and said, I could keep it if I weighed 200 pounds by January 1st, he got it for me in February or January. Of course, I didn't, and lose the weight, and I returned it to him. This is a little foreshadowing later. We'll learn about, later in my presentation, learn about trying to use outside material things as a way of controlling what goes inside on your eating. Uh, I had friends in grade school, but that got tougher and tougher as I approached puberty. I became even more sullen and stayed home a lot. That's still a problem sometimes, by the way, but it's one of those things that consistent involvement in a way sort of automatically does something about even during COVID. The contact isn't at all physical, but my program commitment has increased over the last now two plus years, for sure. Uh, early on uh, in lockdown, I was going to 12-step meetings daily, often more than one. I know many A's who quite understandably find the Zoom contacts sterile or unappealing, but to me, I can very much appreciate it. And for the best and simplest reason, when I eat it most, it was there. It's like the UHM mentioned, it was like the worst place to play baseball on earth, but it's my favorite stadium ever because, you know, my team won the World Series twice there. Uh, I'm 67 years old and have asthma and emphysema, so the idea of sitting around a table and breathing into each other's face doesn't hold a lot of savor for me. I did get COVID about three months ago from my four working roommates. Uh, I'm not uh, only sure to leave the house with a mask, I don't even leave my room without one on. I do some shopping and go to open places like the library, but I've decided to keep my life in many ways pretty prescribed. And I go into some detail here because relating to addiction and my behaviors, because my addictive behaviors, drinking, smoking, and the great obesity that resulted from my compulsive eating all greatly exacerbated in some cases, they think even created these illnesses, like you know, lung damage through smoking lots and lots of cigarettes and uh, pot for years. Uh, also, my relatively mild experience of Omicron, having been affected by pulmonary problems for a long time, I can honestly say it didn't make my top 10 list of lung health incidents. Is related directly to my OA program, weighing around 200 pounds less, being responsible enough to get vaccinated and boosted. And just staying in touch with people through the whole thing, all of this has to do with the changes in life I've made uh, starting in OA in my mid-20s. I can't imagine how I would have behaved and how I would have reacted even... It reacted to the illness itself, even uh, early on in this abstinence, which I got fourteen years of abstinence now. Again, when I talk about programming a life it doesn't matter for me, I'm not exaggerating. I'm not trying to scare anybody abstinent unless it's me to, you know, oh, that's true. I'm looking at that. I grew up in a in a religion and at a time where sex was very much condemned and proscribed, and I took that on pretty completely, and that was, of course, hugely compounded by my weight and great low self-esteem and the horrible body image. In early adolescence, I began to develop habits for dealing with girls and women that I still have to work on, always assuming that a relationship was impossible, having uh, uh, some long and not very honest friendships that were really one-sided, and as I think about it now, often completely transparent pressures and infatuations, and developing an addiction to the most dangerous drug there is, because you can always manufacture as much of it as you want at any time, self-pity. I have to say, I also carry this into my absence, but of course, due to several passes through the mental steps, it's much better than it was. And of course, if you're a man away. Uh, with, in my experience, almost always a clear, if not overwhelming majority of women in attendance at meetings for 40 years, and you don't lose some of that sexual self-pity and fat guy trolling for sympathy, you're not doing something. You're not, probably not doing much. Like get abstinent and be around people who are, because you just hang around absent women for 40 years, it's hard to be that particular kind of jerk all the time. I got drunk for the first time uh, at 16. i am talk about that a little bit. Uh, my father was a drinker. My older brothers were drinkers. A couple of them actually wound up in AA for a while. Uh, it was something I secretly kind of aspired to. I said, I'm going to be able to get drunk. Uh, it was a fantastic relief from my self hate and fear. I used drugs and drank a lot in high school. I was a bad student and just scraped through. By the time I was a senior, I was high almost every day and drunk on the weekends. Between leaving high school and trying 25, alcoholism progressed to the point where I was drunk at least five days a week, and most of the time, I blacked out. I wound up in the ER after fall, during the winter, down some stone steps that I passed out in. And though I smoked some dope once between ER visit and something I never drank again and haven't had drunk since. That's Valentine's Day, 1980. I don't want to import a drug along here, but I want... Put that much in here. I think it it provides context. Uh, i had done two uh, fourth and fifth steps in the year I was in treatment at halfway house, but it certainly had a vast and in some ways long-standing denial of the real first step in this program and in all programs. It was always easier to see that my use was out of control than that my life was out of control. As I write that, it just seems nuts. It's so nuts. They should just have a probably like a whole step that's just about being nuts um i was kicked out of two state universities uh, two times each i weighed 300 plus pounds i really had never been on a date i was always broken living off my father but still i thought i could manage somehow tomorrow i was gonna i was just gonna do the right self uh and i was not one of those people whose life looked good on the outside but was troubled on the inside he was pretty screwed up inside and out uh, when i quit drinking uh, as it often often is uh uh i We'll say I did have an experience, a, a spiritual experience in AA, but I didn't really know what much of that meant until I got into OA. Early on in, the way, uh, in my first 10 to 12 years, I had some fairly long stretches of abstinence. Uh, one of a couple of years, another about a year and a half, another about a year, I think. Uh, at one point, relatively early on, I weighed uh, under 170 pounds. As often crack, my weight while in OA has uh, evidenced minor fluctuations between 170 and 440 pounds. Uh, and through my first 20 years in a way, I did do some things that were important to me. I completed my degree. I had several, uh, made several strong program friends and some program friends were also friends on the outside uh, for a lot of my, a lot of my interests too. Uh, and I became financially quite responsible. Relatively speaking, I didn't get into debt and I didn't move our family much. I had some small student loans that uh, I was a little late on, but I, I paid them, uh, I had a couple of short relationships, and I think it was really in love with one of those women. I just couldn't stand it. My self hate was so great, I just couldn't stand the intimacy or the commitment, really. I also had emotional problems that I think deserve some attention. I was depressed, and with a particular intensity early on, but very uh, often strong in later years, I was suicidal. After I quit drinking and using drugs and uh, began to deal with my eating, I really noticed those emotions and thoughts for the first time. And as my current sponsor says, you know, getting straight in this stuff, saying you're going to quit doing this stuff, it takes something. You have to go on to admit that I will feel that pain, that I will get real. I never thought of killing myself until I quit drinking. I can remember getting up morning after morning early in my years in in, uh, OA and fighting off compulsions to scream, to tear my eyes out, and being obsessed with suicide. I never attempted suicide. And now to give right into the advanced planning stage. For a long time it often entered my thoughts. Um, I really only had a couple of different jobs in the first 20 so years of my going to O.A., but the whole time I had an interest in writing and poetry. I got an English degree, but I told myself I'd never actually write. I was a loser. I couldn't do it. It was something that other people did, uh, but I started writing regularly after about 15 years in O.A. and got enough positive feedback from people I trusted and respected that I decided To try to get into an MFA program. I did get into one that had one of my very favorite poets on the faculty. I was then part uh, of an international fellowship program in Ireland, and after that, wound up getting to one of the best PhD programs around for writing. Uh, So, my plan to not be a big loser that everybody thought was a jerk anymore and show everybody that I was better than they were well, that works out really well, right? supplanting so your spiritual program with that—that's gonna go great. Well, for my internal individual evidence, I think for the first four months of 2002, I was at from 380 to 400 pounds, perhaps the fattest man in Ireland. Honestly, I'm not—I didn't see anybody who came particularly close. Now, I still went to a couple of AA. I was still going to a couple of 12-step uh, programs, including Always Away. Uh, but I wasn't really working a complete first step, obviously. Even my, even my eating was out of control. Uh, I was still convinced that the opinion of others and a certain material success was where I could get a soul. It didn't work. The program tells me I need a spiritual plan. I need to seek a power greater than myself first thing before all. Well, I wound up not finishing the PhD program and to my shame, it a very bad, irresponsible teaching grad. In the fall of 2007, I weighed 441 pounds. That's what they weighed me in at at the OA 12 uh, step treatment program I went to in Hollywood, Florida. Uh, the first time I walked into the day room, I had one of those horror or laugh your ass off moments. I have to say I'm glad I decided and it was a good sign to, to just inside just laugh my ass off at the absurdity of it. There was something like 15 people in the room. One of them was a young guy who was very obese and two or three women who were somewhat to quite a bit overweight and like 10, 12 women who looked like models. You know, and I'm sitting here, I weigh 441 pounds. Whoa, I just said, yeah, this is where it's happening. Let's go. Uh, uh, the guy who I remember the guy who ran the program saying later, more than once, what's the worst way to determine whether someone's got a good program going? Look at them. I got abstinent with bulimics and anorexics. I've stayed abstinent uh, since and now weigh 250 pounds. I never got back into academia and most of the time I worked at Target. Now, my dream job, but I think running garments here racks for 15 to 40 hours a week is what my head could comprehend and what yet and the rest of my body sort of needed. Uh, and also I wanted to throw in that I was, uh, um, uh, I went into vast student debt, I, I, I will say. And I didn't have, I mean, I was almost always on a stipend and my tuition was paid for. Six figure student loan debt for a writing MFA. Yes, a, a consequence that w- literally I'll take to my grade. Um, I would love to talk a little bit about now. Kind of wind up talking about service, you know. Newcomers, you know, old timers say, you know, I'm doing service for myself and stuff like that. It's important. They they really mean it, you know. They're uh, I don't know if it's in program or not. Uh, I don't think it is. But don't ever forget that when you do your service, you do do it for yourself. I've been in the program over 40 years, and I know all the phrases and bromides. I thought I had invented a couple of them myself. It turns out I didn't. But I really did. I, thought, I No, I didn't. Then I heard it someplace else and realized no, I mean, just, you're in the program. It's all pretty simple. That's how it works, and that's why it works. Uh, but if I'm helping a sponsee or answering a phone call or email or doing something like literally answering the call for an old sponsor and longtime friend to do some service, I get to come in contact with what the program is for me today. I get to learn new context for the same old stuff. And most important, I get to step out of that still sometimes very persistent throne of self-concern and self-analysis and self-hate and make myself available to a group or an individual. You Can't buy that. Can't make it up in your head. Can't do it alone. And I know I can't keep from eating until I die without that experience. It's a thing we can get every day. Sometimes it's boring. Sometimes it's thrilling. Sometimes it's deeply painful. Often it's an experience of fellow feeling of a kind. I, as a compulsive reader, just can't get anywhere else. It took me a long time to realize that, though, while every material or education I've gained uh, uh, over the last uh, 40 years was directly proportional to the quality of my program, everything, uh, the program is a thing in itself. Obviously, to someone who's wound up as obese as I was, the program was in part a means to an end. The fellowship, service, and insights gained and shared are the best possible reason for wanting to get abstinent and stay abstinent. I learned that life can be this different, this much more engaged, this much more humane, and that I can experience it because you guys showed up or you gave me your number, you gave me a call, or decided to share in a meeting like this. If I'm abstinent, I can experience some level of this extraordinary way of living every day. When I identify as a scratcher in my home group, I generally say something like, Hi, I'm Fred. I'm a compulsive reader. I've been in a way since 81. I've been absent at this time since the fall of 07. At that time, I weighed 440 pounds, and now I weigh about 250. I like that better because I'm not dead. But this time around, I don't just want to avoid dying, which I think is a wonderful.
0: If you're, if you're
1: really sick from eating, that's a wonderful reason to stop.
0: I'm starting to want to be alive. I'll pass. Thanks, Fred. Thank you so much, Fred.